Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Well, hello there, friends, lovers, cripples, gimps, disabled dreamboats, all the things. This is the Minnesota of Disability After Dark, and this is Minnesota number 17. So, this is a tiny little morsel of awesomeness before our full show on Friday. And I mind the vault again because I haven't been receiving as many emails as I would like. Cough, cough, nudge, nudge. So please send me anything you want about disability, anything you want to be a Minnesota. Write me a story, tell me something embarrassing, tell me something sexy, tell me something funny. Put it in an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and I will turn it into a Minnesota. This is my favorite part of the show, the Minnesotes and your experiences and getting to read it back to you. So... Um, please send in the things. Otherwise, we, we won't have Minnesotas to do, and nobody wants that. So send them in. Disabilityafterdark at gmail.com I know you have a story. Go on. I'll wait. No, no. Anyway, let's get started. So, last week on the Minnesota, you heard me talk to my friend Claire A.H. about having a stroke. And it just so happens that a few... Months ago, I received an email from a listener to the podcast who wanted me to talk about their experience being the partner of somebody who had a stroke. So they sent me this email with the subject line, Minnesota, perhaps. Thank you, definitely. They say, Hi, Andrew. I appreciate the work you do to put your podcast out into the world. I have learned so much and I'm grateful for the opportunity to hopefully be a better person because of it. Well, thank you, reader that's and listener. That's amazing. Thank you so much for all those compliments. I feel so I feel so honored that you like the show and like what I do. Thank you. They say, although I find the episodes captivating, the recent episode with the stroke victim hits really close to home for me. Although I'm not disabled myself, my boyfriend did suffer a stroke a few years ago. His situation wasn't as severe as your guest, but I did come home from work to find him, figure out what was going on, and then get him help. And then in brackets they write, I don't know if I have it in me at the moment to write out all the details of that evening, but if you wanted to chat and or hang out, blah, 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 blah. They say, I can definitely say that everything changed that day. I can only imagine how things changed for you. And, well, I have never had a stroke, never dealt with a partner who had a stroke. I can only imagine if if seeing your partner and the person you love in that position can be really scary and surely was terrifying for you. And I'm sure that you did your best at the time to make them comfortable, but not knowing what was wrong or how to help them or what would change for them was probably really terrifying. 
He continues, the way he thinks, the way he behaves, and even the way things work in the bedroom. Talking with Claire, I learned that things do change in the bedroom and things are different and, and coming to the realization as his partner that things change in the bedroom was probably also really daunting for you as the partner. And I, for another podcast that I was doing a couple years ago, talked to the partner of somebody with who had had a stroke and had them walk me through their experiences and going through all that and the feelings they had of how does sex change now? How does this stroke play into how we play with each other? And it was a really insightful conversation. If I can get that guest back on the show, I will to have them talk about their experiences being the partner of a stroke victim and the things they had to consider because it was a really insightful conversation. Um, I'm curious, though, as I read it, and not not to be, I don't want to pry and be inappropriate, but I do want to understand from you, reader, uh, writer, person that wrote in, I, I'm not sure what to call you, but the person who wrote in, I want to understand how things in the bedroom changed. I'm curious, was it like you were afraid to do things with them? Was it like you were afraid to be too rough? Was it like you were afraid to try different positions? Was it that they couldn't do certain things? Were they foggy in the brain because of disability? I'm really curious as to how things changed. And especially in a queer relationship, and the emphasis that especially a male-on-male relationship puts on on sex and, and ability, I'm curious for you how your partner's stroke made you think about your abilities in the bedroom and what you had to do to take care of them when you were having sex and if you could. And I'm just very curious as to how that shift affected you. I also think because we don't hear a lot of stroke victims talk about sexuality and we don't hear a lot of of queer men stroke victims or their partners talk about sexuality after a stroke. So I'm really, really intrigued by this and this email is really powerful and the things you're bringing forward are really making me think about things slightly differently. Um, they continue, I do have to say that as great as some of the aspects of his care were, there's so much left to be desired regarding giving people who need help the help they actually need instead of glossing over them and rather being dismissive. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that we don't talk about needs and wants um, and the help they need how the help people need whether it be sexually or just as a partner um, we don't talk about this stuff enough and I it sounds like what you're saying is the stroke made you look at these things as a partner differently and I would love to talk with you more about your experience as the partner of somebody who had a stroke and what all that meant for you because it's really Reading your email is really resonating with me, how you manage all of that. And so they say, so many thoughts in my head right now, but I definitely would like to thank you again for your work and hope you continue your work for many, many years to come. I really appreciate that. I really hope that this podcast can go on for many years to come. 
And one of the ways to do that is to send in your thoughts and feelings for a minisode. So you can, again, email disabilityafterdark at gmail.com for a minisode. And then, but this is how you do it. And thank you, reader, for being so open about your experiences being the partner of somebody who had a stroke. Um, I am really curious to hear how your queer relationship in the bedroom changed because of that. So if you ever want to come on and be a guest, I'd love to chat with you about that. Um, but thank you so much for writing in. I was going to stop right there, but there's another letter that I received a few months ago from somebody who wrote in from a, a little bit of a different vein. And there was something that I saw recently. I was asked to speak on a panel about two films around sexuality and disability for the Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto. And I was asked to see a film called Prendre Moi in French, that means take me. And it was a film out of Montreal about two disabled partners who wanted to have sex. And it was, they lived in a, they lived in an institutional setting, it looked like, in the short film. And they had sex throughout the film. Um, and the partners looked happy and they were laughing. And they both looked like they had CP. And they, the film talks about, or shows the discomfort that a personal care attendant might have setting up these two partners to fuck. And when I was watching this film, I was thinking about a letter that I received in the Disability After Dark inbox a few months ago, and I, I didn't, wasn't really sure how to address this letter, but I wanted to... I, you know what? I thought that I was going to hold off for another minute, so, but I want to do it now because it's really resonating with me because I just saw this film last week. So we get two letters in one. This letter reads, Hello, so I'm an able-bodied, bi, cis white woman who's been working in the field of developmental disabilities. I started as a DSP, direct support provider, back in 2013, and I've spent the last year and a half as a job coach. Now I've secured a small position, no, sorry, I've secured a position at a small assisted living firm that manages two houses and less than 10 residents, all with some form of developmental disability. My question for you is, do you have any tips, tricks, and or precautions for a newly minted house manager in regards to respecting and facilitating my residents' personal and sexual lives? That's a really big question, and one that, I, that why I was hesitant to navigate this question is because I've never really, you know, in my own privileged, ableist way, I've never had to consider developmental disabilities in the way you might have to, or never really considered them as part of my narrative. So thank you so much for the question. I really, I looked at this email, I looked at this email like three or four, five times in the last month trying to figure out what I would say, how I would answer it, and what I would, what tips and tricks that I could have to really talk about uh, facilitating residents' sexual lives in a, in a home that manages developmental disability. So before I answer your question, I'll finish your email. They say, I've always been open to talking about sex when the subject comes up, but now I'll be in a position where if something like a rape accusation happens, 
It's up to me to respond. That's heavy, and I don't, I don't know how I would respond to rape accusations in that type of environment. They continue, I want to give my residents the best possible environment to live their lives freely, but I know I'm working with a potentially vulnerable population and need to follow legal procedures too. I also know that being a sexual DD person is especially tough. There's a lot of gray areas when it comes to consent, especially for someone who is nonverbal. Your talk about the legality of sex and disability was a great introduction, and I would love to know more specifically about how caregivers can best help with all that. Thank you very much, Alice. Well, Alice, your question is, do I have any tips or tricks for you? And I think the first thing is to sit down with the, the personal care attendants and talk with them about consent. There are a number of books and things that talk about consent with respect to the law and disability. One of the books that I'm looking, that I'm thinking about, let me just pull it up on the Google machine because it's the one that I've wanted to look at reading myself, but I haven't and I want to offer it to you. It's called, um, I'm just going to pull it up on Google here because I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's called Sex Disability and the Law. Forgive that I'm not editing this. This is how unprofessional the Minnesotas are, and it's good. The book is called Sex, Disability, and the Law, and it's by Paul Grave, um, and it's written by... No, no, it's, the publisher is Paul Grave. It's written by Perlin and Lynch, and they talk about the way law and sexuality... Um, and disability, particularly with respect to developmental disabilities, comes about. My really non, my lived experience advice to you would be to talk with the residents about sex. Ask them what their sexual lives are, what their, what their sexual experiences are wanting to be. Have one-on-one -on -one meetings with them to talk about that, to show them that you support their sexuality, whatever it is, and you want to help them flourish, but there are guidelines to follow in the particular place where they live and the place that you manage. You have to talk to them about that. I think, I think having meetings with them and the staff together to talk about these things and to talk about what crosses the line and to talk about what's inappropriate for each person and to really talk about consent and disability in different ways. Not just saying yes or no, but what does consent mean for a developmentally disabled person when they say yes? What does that mean when they agree to something? Do they have the capacity to understand what yes means? And do they, and I believe they do, and I don't want to sound like I'm being ableist by asking that, but showing them the, what yes means instead of simply talking to them about risk and only risk, giving them an opportunity to understand the power of saying yes to a sexual experience and the power within all of that. Um, again, I haven't read this book I'm recommending, but I've seen it in a bunch of things I'm, I'm looking at for the podcast. 
It's again called Sexuality, Disability, and the Law Beyond the Last Frontier. Um, and you may want to pick it up to have a look at it. But I really think having a discussion with the staff and the clients that you manage all together in one room, so we can all talk about it together, would be really, really powerful. And, and if, you know, you have to talk with the, with certain staff about what may or may not make them uncomfortable, you need to stand your ground and remind the staff that these individuals are sexual beings and they have a right to these experiences. I'm having trouble, Alice, really finding a way to give you advice around how to bring up, you know, how to have a discussion with a, with a client or with a consumer about questions of rape or sexual assault or consent because I don't want it to sound like I'm suggesting that because people with developmental disabilities may think differently and may process differently that them to engage in sexuality of any kind could be considered assault. Because a lot of the stuff that I've been reading around sexuality, disability, consent, and the law makes developmentally disabled people seem as though they're always the sexual offender. And I don't want to suggest that, but I do think just having those base discussions around what is appropriate and what is inappropriate for each consumer may be a good start. So to both of you who wrote in for this Minnesota, thank you. And I hope my advice, totally unqualified advice around disability and sexuality was somewhat helpful. I hope that using my lived experience, I could provide that for you. So the, yeah, this is the Minnesota. This is Minnesota number 17. And I want to I wanna do more Minnesota. So what you're going to do is you're going to send me your funny, hilarious stories about your childhood health class, about your parents talking to you about sex about a funny thing that happened around disability, about a scary thing that happened around disability, about an ableist thing that happened around disability. Send me all the things, write me, write me a bunch of paragraphs, and I will read them back and speculate wildly. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota, and stay tuned for Friday's episode. It's a really awesome interview with a really cool friend of mine, so stay tuned for that. All right, talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018